My name is Summer. And my name is Nicole. And we are financial advisors. This is the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We have worked with many widows during our careers. Although we are not widows, we see the need for solid financial education before and after losing a spouse. We do this by telling stories from widows and our own lives. Welcome back to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We thought we'd just catch up, get a little updated. How are you doing, Nicole? What's new with you? Just life and everything takes longer than you think it's going to and things keep coming up. (laughs) Mike can never get my to-do list done. Yeah. But I remember hearing a quote or something of somebody saying, in life, sometimes we expect things to go perfect and then we're disappointed it doesn't when really we should just expect that everything's going to go wrong. It's true. Because it usually does. And then we have proper expectations. So I should just have proper expectations. Like this morning, I had to go to some doctor's appointments and it took two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. I thought it'd take an hour and yeah. just puts my whole day behind. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually thought about that recently a lot about setting expectations I just moved in to my in-laws home for the summer. My husband and I are staying there before we move somewhere else. And I was just thinking about that, how important it is to set expectations of what are, you know, just between me and my husband, like if we get in a disagreement, I need to, we need to talk about this still, but just making sure we do that, not in front of everyone because there's, you know, multiple people living in the house and, um, we're used to living by ourselves, so yeah. <laughs> big change. <laughs> anyway, but this is—I don't know. There's so many little areas in life that you need to really set expectations, like how long things are going to take, or you know, just how you deal with different situations you're given, and expectations yeah. are important. Oh yeah, and like the other thing that drives me crazy is that sometimes something you think could be like a one-step process ends up taking four or five and i'm sure like widows can totally relate to this who've had to do death claims where you think oh let's call this company and get the form to fill out and then it ends up being oh you need a notary or you need to send in this form and oh there's another step and everything just whoa just takes way longer than you think (laughs) that actually is funny because we're talking about social security today and we were just talking well i was just thinking oh social security like it doesn't when you say those two words together it really doesn't sound that complicated but it is (laughs) it as we were talking about it and preparing for this episode i was like oh my gosh there is so much to this social security benefits, being a survivor or a widow. Um, there's just a lot to unpack and it's confusing even for us. So we're going to try and make it really palatable, yeah. hopefully. So we'll try and keep it simple today and just know this is more of a general overview than like there's some weird situations out there or more complex things that could also apply. Yes. But having a good un- overall understanding of the program can help a lot of people work through it. Yeah, and I think we weren't like super excited to do a podcast on social security just because it is complicated. But I feel like with how often discussions come up about this with our clients, especially our widowed clients, because there's some really key things that can affect a widow when it comes to social security, we have to talk about it. This is a non-negotiable, needs to be a podcast episode. This is part one of our social security series. Social security is a complex topic. So this first part is more generally about social security program. And then our next episode, part two, is going to be about survivor benefits. 
Okay, we are going to start by sharing some statistics that we found very interesting about Social Security. The first is that 25% of adults in the U.S. receive Social Security benefits. That's crazy. That's one in four people. That really shocked me. I didn't realize it was that high. Uh, an, another interesting stat is that 11.7% of those on Social Security get a survivor benefit and 75% of those on Social Security get a retirement benefit, meaning they retired and are taking their own benefit. Uh, and so so the majority of people taking it are are retired taking their own benefit and then 13% are on disability social security which we're not going to talk too much about it's kind of its own thing but i thought that was interesting the other really fascinating fact is that the average check for social security is 1550 a month just a little over that and so that's good to understand for our audience because a lot of people wonder how much they're going to get from Social Security per month. And so that's a good thing to know. The highest amount you could get is $3,345 in 2022. So higher benefits are possible depending on how much money that you made during your lifetime. And if you continue to delay Social Security, your benefit actually grows a little bit until the age of 70. That's the longest that you uh, your benefit may grow depending on your situation. So those are some really interesting facts that we thought we would share. And then specifically towards women, we thought this was interesting. So 40% of all retirees rely on social security to live and 15% of women rely on social security for over 90% of their income. Yeah, which is crazy, which means that you know, what is it? 40% of all retirees and a lot of them are women. That's all they have. And if the average check is about 1500 a month, that's basically what they're living on during retirement. Yeah. Which, yeah, again, surprising, but I think this is why we really felt we needed to make a podcast about social security because it really does affect women just looking at these numbers. So really interesting. And then one more stat we want to share. 45% of single retirees rely on Social Security for over 90% of their income. So most, a lot of people, almost half of people who are retired rely on Social Security. Yeah. Um, oh, single retired yeah. rely on Social Which Security. Which means that survivor benefits are really important, a really important income source for single people. Yes. So it can be a big, play a big part in your financial plan, especially if you've lost a spouse. So we just want to highlight those to really illustrate how important this is, even if it's not the most interesting topic. <laughs> so we also want to talk about this concept that we get brought to our attention all the time by our clients, which is, well, I don't want to rely on social security because it is not going to be here forever. I don't think because there's all these factors at play and it looks like social security is not very well funded. And so we want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's one of the most common questions we get. Will social security be here? Um, so currently it, by 2034, Income from payroll deductions will only cover 77% of a retiree's monthly benefits. So basically, it's only 77% funded after 2034 with what you and I or everybody is currently 
having the taxes coming off of our paycheck going into Social Security. So 6.2% of your paycheck goes to Social Security, plus your employer matches that same amount. If you're self-employed, you have to cover both parts. And (laughs) it's like 12.4% of your paycheck has to go to Social Security. And currently there's a little bit of a trust fund that is helping to cover what payroll taxes are not covering. But as more and more people are retiring, the baby boomers, there's a lot of more people um, getting on Social Security. People are living longer on Social Security. And so that's depleting the trust fund, and we don't have enough taxes being paid in. This is actually not the first time that Social Security has had issues with being funded. It has happened in the past as well. And that's actually a big um, misconception people have is that they think, oh, I can get Social Security at 65. Well, that was the old age, but they actually raised the age, your full retirement age, um, and, and that was part of keeping social security funded right in the past. And, um, so a couple of things that, um, the government could do to keep social security funded. I don't think it's going away and this is kind of our opinion. And, yeah. you know, we watched a lot of things. We listened to a lot of economists. I've gone to several webinars. I've even listened to some politicians talk about what we could do to keep it funded. And, it would be political suicide for somebody to get rid of social security because everybody's paying into it and they want some of their money back. Yes. Everyone. (laughs) It's a touchy topic. (laughs) And so nothing has really been done about it. The sooner that the Congress would make some changes to social security, the better, the more we can be prepared for when that, you know, 2034 comes. Um, But they keep kicking the can down the road and not doing anything about it because it's too hot of a topic and they want to get (laughs) reelected. Um, a couple of things they could do. One is the cost of living adjustment. A really nice benefit of Social Security is that every year you, your benefit goes up by inflation. They track it by the CPI index. And um, they could cap that. State pensions did that to keep their pensions better funded. A lot of them have where they say, oh, well, if inflation is 4%, we're only going to give you two or two and a half. So they could cap that. Although for most people, we already talked about there's, of people who rely on Social Security for the majority of their income. And if egg prices go up and their Social Security doesn't go up by the same amount, it could put them in a real bind. So who knows if that's a route they'll go. Another option is they could raise the taxes. You know, instead of paying 6.2, we could pay 7, 7.5%. Or the other thing people aren't aware of is that once you, there's a wage limit, wage cap, where once you make over a certain amount, you actually don't pay your Social Security tax on over that amount. So in 2023, the taxable earnings are 160,000. So after that, you don't pay Social Security tax on anything you make over that. They could raise that to 200, 250. So people who are making more money have to pay more into Social Security. Um, and then they could also raise the age. The new age could be 70. You can't start taking Social Security till 70. <laughs> and that makes it last, you know, if the full retirement age right now for people is 67 if you're born after 1960 then you um that basically makes if they stretch it to 70 that gives them three less years to fund your social security so i hope that makes sense as to why that would help fund the current system that we have there's definitely ways that the government can make changes we're not just going down a slide with no way to stop yeah so we'll see what they actually change but for now we're talking about the current program and i don't i think that social security will always be here in some form it just there's no way they're going to get rid of it when so many people rely on it they'd have 
a welfare crisis on their hands for retirees if they just got rid of it for people who are currently retired or who are nearing retirement. But for people who are a lot younger, you know, if they made some changes, we would have more time to prepare um, as younger people. And so likely for if you're younger, there could be some big changes down the road. I think they'd grandfather in people who are close because they don't yeah. have time to prepare for changes to the system. And historically, when they've made a change, they've grandfathered people in. Yes, in multiple settings, not just social security, other financial settings. They Federal grand- benefits, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They, so, they let people through the cracks there. Yeah. So I think that it's definitely something that's coming down. You should pay attention to and be aware that changes will happen. Yeah. But for now, I think you should count on it being there. When we've done financial plans for people and they'll say, oh, I don't want to plan on Social Security at all. And we take it completely out of the plan. They're shocked by how much of their plan is dependent on Social Security. Like now you got to work five to eight years longer without Social Security. It is a really important part for many people. And so um, I don't think you should just count it out completely, but it's just not the reason why you should be saving for your own retirement and be educated so you know what you need to do to be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. And keep in mind, you know, Social Security is a fixed income and it's great, but having your own retirement could really buffer you from this high inflation, higher costs of living. I don't think Social Security was intended to be your full retirement benefit. I don't think that's very feasible because like we said, the average check is $1,500 a month. I don't know about you, but that would be tight for me. And so I I think that's good to keep in mind. Way below the poverty level, I think (laughs) so. So we want to talk, when can you get Social Security benefits? I think we mentioned this earlier, but there's this concept called a full retirement age, and that's set by the Social Security Administration. And right now, if you're born 1960 or later, we mentioned that retirement full retirement age is 67. Commonly, people think it's 65. It's not. And it can change depending on how old you are and when you were born. So for example, if you're born in 1956, your full retirement age would be 66 and four months. And they have some funny variations depending on when you were born of what the age will be. But right now, the the uh, oldest age is 67. So that's when you can get the full retirement age benefit. But you can take a benefit at starting at age 62 that will be reduced from your full retirement age benefit. Okay, so we want to talk about Jack and Pam. They are a couple in their 50s. And they've both worked most of their lives and they're approaching retirement. It's a few years out and they're looking at their social security benefits and they see that Jack's social security benefit at full retirement age is 2,500 and that Pam's, she's worked a lot as well, not as high of earnings. Her full retirement age benefit is $2,000 a month. So that's a illustration we want to give. So if Jack took his social security at 62, instead of getting the 2,500, he would have a reduced amount of 1,787. So each year that you take it before your full retirement age in Jack's situation, you get a little bit of a reduction. And the opposite is true as well. The later that Jack would take it, the more he would get. So if he 
wanted to take it at age 70, which is the latest delay he could do, it would be $3,100 a month. That's a big contrast, $2,500 to $3,100. That's $600 more per month by waiting till age 70. And and this is a permanent change. So like if you take it at 62, you're permanently at a reduced amount for the rest of your life. Um, and if you wait, you're permanently at a higher amount for the rest of your life. And by waiting after your full retirement age, it grows about 8% a year, but it's a simple rate. It's not compounding. So investments, you get a compounding rate of return. This is just a simple rate. So it's not quite apples to apples. Some people say, oh, but if I could, I can't make 8% on my investments. So I should definitely wait. Well, yes, that's true, but it's not an apples to apples comparison. And there's a lot of reasons to waiting. Um, so a big reason to wait is if you think you're going to live a long time because social security continues for your lifetime, no matter how long you live. And the longer you live, the more you get out of social security. And if you can wait and grow your benefit to be quite large, you know, 600 more a month for Jack. And if he lives until his nineties, getting 600 more a month until his nineties is huge and having that much of a higher paycheck each month. Um, but for people who have lower life expectancy, usually the break evens like 82, 83, 84. If you're going to live past those ages, um, you should wait. But if you're going to die before then, you should claim it early. Mm -hmm. The problem is we, we just always don't know when we're going to die. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice to know? Yeah. And, and then another big benefit of Social Security is that it's fixed. It's not dependent on market returns like your 401k might be. And it's backed by the federal government, which is considered to be one of the safer financial backers in the U.S. and in the world. And then um, it also has that inflation adjustment, which is huge. Like, Yeah, it's hard in, to find. <laughs> in 25 years, things are going to cost twice as much as they do today because of inflation. And your benefits are going to grow with that through Social Security. And a lot of pensions don't even have an inflation, inflation adjustment. Yeah, and these are hard decisions to navigate, especially working with two Social Security benefits because there's something called the spousal benefit. So in the case of Jack and Pam, Pam has been working and she has a benefit at her full retirement age of $2,000. And so if she took half of her husband's benefit of 2500 which she can she can do either one of those she can take her $2000 benefit or half of her husband's her own benefit in this case would be higher um, and so those are things that that Pam and Jack need to look at and navigate as they get close to retirement. And this is probably one of the hardest things to do is to know, you know, I'm working with two benefits here, which do I take and when? And this is when a good financial advisor really comes into play to kind of help you navigate these types of decisions. So once some strategies a financial advisor can help you with are, so for example, with Jack and Pam, this whole issue of, well, do you, let's say Jack and Pam decide they want to retire at 60. He could start his benefit at 62, and Pam could also start her benefit at 62, but they're reduced. So their question is, should we start at 62 because we need the money because we're retiring, or do we wait until 70, let it grow as much as possible, but during those 10 years from when we retire to when we take Social Security, we have to deplete our 401ks. And the 401ks getting depleted um, you know, those could be good growth assets if the markets did really well, 
but instead they're taking them out for income, but maybe the markets don't do well. There's always that unknown. And then there's also the issue of you can't leave your social security to your children if you die young, but you can leave your 401k to your kids. So there's a lot of issues there that they need to consider. So one strategy, and you know, we help people run the numbers on this all the time would be that Pam starts hers early so that she can get start getting some income, at least from Social Security. But you let Jack's grow because it's the higher benefit. And one of the big reasons for doing this is if one of them dies, the lower benefit goes away. So Pam's benefit goes away and you get to keep Jack's benefit. So let's say that 75 Jack dies and Pam would lose her benefit, which if she started it early is the, the smaller benefit anyway, no big deal. And well, she worked a little bit less, it's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal because then you're losing some of your income. <laughs> um, but instead she gets to keep Jack's um, higher benefit that he grew until he was 70. So that's one strategy, especially if like I run into this all the time where they come in and say, oh, my family, the man says, oh, my family had his heart disease and we all die in our early 80s or late 70s. And the woman says, oh, my grandma lived to be 102. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you have longevity in one person in the couple, you should consider growing one of the benefits, usually the larger one. Yeah, could be a really good strategy. And we've seen this work before. We had a client recently pass away in his 60s, mid 60s. And now his wife can collect his full amount of Social Security because her benefit was much less than his. She just didn't work as much. She worked inside the home and not really outside the home. So we've seen that happen before. And it's it really will benefit her in the long run because they chose to grow his benefit. So let's go back to our example with Pam and Jack. Now let's say that Pam had not worked um, much at all during her life. She'd stayed at home and raised their kids. And so her benefit is really small. Let's say it's $600 a month. So now as we could examine Pam and Jack's benefits right next to each other, if Pam can either take her own benefit of $600 a month or half of Jack's benefit of $2,500 a month, half of Jack's is going to be higher than the $600 a month benefit. So she will go ahead and in that case, we would probably recommend she take half of his, which is another strategy to look at. But she can't take half of his until Jack begins taking his own benefit, which is kind of getting nuanced, but that is something to keep in mind. You, you can't wait. Yeah. So if Jack decides he wants to wait till 70 to grow his, and let's say Pam is two years younger than him, that means that Pam would only be getting 600 a month all the way until she turns 68. And then when he turns on his, she starts getting the 1250 which is half of his, but not until her age 68. And he might be able to grow his past his full retirement age, but her spousal benefit is stopped at 50%. She always only gets 50% of his 2,500. She doesn't get 50% of his now 70 benefit. Like yeah, 70, 3,100. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't get half of that. So there's basically a year there from her 67 to 68 where she didn't get the spousal benefit and she just lost that. She doesn't get any credit for have, having waited. So maybe Jack should consider taking his benefit at 69. Again, it's worth running the numbers to see um, what would be better. Him to take it at 69 so she can start getting the spousal benefit. 
Yeah. So good to keep in mind, it does not grow like your own benefit would grow. But if you're taking a spousal benefit, meaning half of your spouse, then that benefit doesn't grow. It stops at his full retirement age or her full retirement age amount. And so. well, and here's the, the other end of it, though. It doesn't grow past or your spousal benefit does not grow. It cannot be ever be higher than 50 percent of their full retirement age amount. But it can be reduced. <laughs> so yeah. Pam took it at 62. Her she wouldn't get her full 600. And when she turns when Jack starts filing for his benefit and she can get the bump up to the spousal benefit, it is now reduced because she started early. So it can be reduced, but it can't grow. Yeah, it's a dog eat dog world yeah. out there with the social security system. So we've covered spousal benefits for uh, people who are married, but there is another cohort of people who can receive retirement benefits, and theirs can be a little bit more complicated, and that is for divorced people. So we're going to start with another hypothetical situation. We have a couple named Cindy and Tom. So Cindy has worked very little during her life, she stayed at home with their children, and she's qualified for a small amount of Social Security benefits. And Tom has worked a lot. He's worked 40-year career, and he's made a bit of money during that time. And so his Social Security amount is relatively high. It's about $3,200 a month. So really nice benefit. And after Cindy and Tom's kids move out of the house, they end up separating ways and getting a divorce. They'd been married for about 20 years at that point. So they they part ways. And now Cindy is wondering what should she do in terms of her social security benefit. She has barely worked, doesn't have enough to qualify. You need 40 credits or 10 years of work to qualify for social security. She doesn't have that. So what can she do? And the option is similar to the spousal benefit she can take half of Tom's benefit when she turns 62. There's a couple qualifications and she has met those. You need to be married for 10 years to be able to take half of your spouse's benefit and you cannot be remarried before the age of 62 or at Uh, all. At all. Excuse me, at all. So, So to be able to qualify to get half of his, that's what needs to happen. In her case, that would work. Mm-hmm. And I think a good caveat is the same rules apply. You got to wait to your full retirement age to get the full benefit. So for her to get half of his, which would be $1,600, uh, she has to wait till her full retirement age of 67. She can start taking it at 62, but um, it would be reduced. Also, you know, again, we talked about how does Tom need to have started his benefit for her to get her spousal benefit? Because that's how it is if you're still married. But if you've been divorced for more than two years, even if Tom waits all the way till 70 and Cindy wants to take hers now, she can she can do that as long as they've been divorced for at least two, two years. Another big question and misunderstanding is that people think, well, I'm getting, I'm taking away half of his. <laughs> yeah. So that's not true. And that's the same for the spousal benefit. Um, Tom will always get his own $3,200 benefit and Cindy also gets half of it. And same with our previous example, Jack gets his full benefit and Pam gets half of his on top of that. And you could be, so like Tom could have four wives. He could have be divorced and remarried several times and each one of his ex-wives can get a full 
benefit off of his yes. work. If they've met the qualifications of being married for 10 years and not remarried after the divorce. So a couple of things to keep note of. But we did have a client who was trying to figure out, she was divorced, she was trying to figure out how much social security she would receive. And it doesn't say on her statement. You have to look at your ex-spouse's statement. And he was concerned, he did not want to give her the information. He was concerned that by her filing, like Nicole mentioned, this misconception, he was concerned that she would be taking away from his benefit. And so he did not want to give her the social security statement. And we said, well, you need to go to him and say, I really need to look at your statement so that I can see what I might be qualifying for. So good to keep in mind that that, that doesn't affect what your ex-spouse would be receiving. Yeah, let's talk about how um, another issue we run, we see a lot, and this is why the full retirement age is so important to know, because so many things are based off of it. Your spousal benefits are based on full retirement age amounts. Another thing to look at is working. What if you want to work while and take Social Security at the same time? The rule is, and it's called an earnings test, if before your full retirement age you work, your Social Security is subject to an earnings test. After your full retirement age, you can work as much as you want and still get Social Security. So the earnings limit for 2023 is $21,240. So let's say um, we'll go back to um, our example with Jack and Pam. So Jack and Pam retired at 60. They were done early. But Jack uh, decides he wants to do some part-time work. And they decided to take their Social Security early at 62. Well, if Jack makes um, more than the $21,000, he will have his Social Security reduced. And um, it's $2 for every, or it, for every $2 over the limit you make, your Social Security is reduced by $1. So he could make $30,000 and still get some Social Security, but not his full benefit. And here's the biggest clincher for people I've seen is that Social Security doesn't know you're making money until you file your taxes the next year. So, for example, we had a client who she um, had gone back to work after she filed for her Social Security. And the IRS didn't or they didn't find out about it for a long time. And all that time she'd been drawing Social Security when she wasn't supposed to. And she ended up having to work out a deal with Social Security where she had to pay back the benefits that she shouldn't have gotten while she was working. And it was pretty rough for her because by the time she was paying those back, she actually was not working anymore and really needed the social security income. So if you are gonna work while you're also getting social security before your full retirement age, you need to inform social security so they'll stop sending your benefits and then just restart it the next year if you quit working. Yeah, so that can be messy. And in the case of Jack, just to really help illustrate this like nicole said if he started working at 62 taking and was taking his social security if he made more than that twenty-one thousand about number he would have a reduction to his social security but if he started working at 67 let's say that was his full retirement age in this scenario is 67 after that age he can work and make 60 grand a year 100 grand whatever yeah, he wants and still receive his full 
social security benefit. So it's just a caveat. It's kind of interesting the way that they have it set up, but that is the rules. (laughs) And and in that, using that same example, let's say Pam also is drawing her benefit. Pam can still get her full benefit because it's her benefit and she's not working. So the earnings test applies per person. But I believe the earnings test does affect her spousal amount. So if she was also trying to get half of his, I believe the earnings test um, things are on that. Yeah. So things to be aware of if you're trying to work um, and get Social Security at the same time. I want to go back and touch on one other thing. I don't know if we probably should have mentioned this a little bit earlier. So if you want to qualify for Social Security benefits on your own record, you do need to have worked for 40 quarters, which is about 10 years. And you need to have substantial earnings. And that kind of varies on what that means per year. But it need, you need to make around, you know, just like a, a minimum wage job or higher and be working, uh, I don't know, part-time or full-time. You need to m- hit those earnings to be able to qualify for Social Security on your own record. And if you don't hit that, you the only way you could get Social Security is by a survivor benefit or a spousal benefit. So those are a couple things to keep in mind if you're wondering, have I qualified for Social Security? Um, and you can go look at a statement. If you go to ssa.gov, you can um, sign up for an account and that's where you can view your statement. And I, I you know, even in my 30s, I have done that. I've gotten logged in. And one of the things that I do is I check that the earnings are being reported correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm getting credit for all that 6.2% I'm paying <laughs> from my paycheck. And um, you can also then see if you've earned enough credits and what your benefits are estimated to be. Um, and then when you are older and you want to file, you'll use that same login to go in and actually file for social security. As long as you're just doing like a basic filing, like I am just applying for my own benefits, you can do it all online and then you can like change your bank account where it gets deposited. Um, and it's all on that login. Yep. Usually these days they prefer you to do this electronically. Some people who are a little older may be able to get a statement in the mail, but for, most most of the time now they prefer you to yeah. just log and then on the website. Social Security went green a few years ago. So you might have <laughs> used to get statements mailed to you. You don't usually anymore. Yeah, it's rare. So that's good to keep in mind. We want to talk too about taxation of Social Security because this is important. So we're going to go back to our friends, Pam and Jack, and talk about what their Social Security tax would look like. So now it's been a few years and They've decided to file for Social Security. They're taking Jack's benefit and Pam's benefit. And that benefit will go on their taxes depending on how much other income they had. So let's say that they had $20,000 of other income. And I'm just going to use round numbers. Let's say that they were getting $40,000 worth of Social Security. So when they go to file their taxes, that... Social Security counts as income, but only a portion of it would be taxable to them. And it kind of varies depending on what their other income was. But in this situation, I said it was 20000 So they would get 
uh, about 50% of their social security would be taxed. And that could go to a higher percentage if they had more other income. Let's just say that Jack was working part-time, earning 20,000. If he had made 40, 50,000, then more of their social security would be taxed. It's kind of a weird system the way that they do it, but that's just something to keep in mind is it varies person to person on how much will be taxed, but they usually let you have at least 15% of your social security untaxed. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Um, yeah, so depending on Social Security is very much a social program. So the more money you make, the more they tax you. And also, um, the more money you make through your lifetime, the less it necessarily adds to your Social Security benefit. Social Security really was designed to benefit people in lower income brackets. And so, like, for example, like, yeah, Jack was working part time and maybe they're also taking money out of their 401ks and maybe they have some gains on in some investment accounts as well. All of that might cause their Social Security to be taxed more and more. We actually have done a lot of planning with clients to help them lower their taxes, specifically by keeping less and less of their Social Security uh, from being taxed. So there's different strategies. Um, I'll just give a quick overview so people have some ideas. One is bunching, where we take out a lot of money in one year. So their Social Security is taxed that year. And then the next year, we don't take out a lot of money from their investment account. So then their Social Security is not taxed that year. Um, there's other strategies where we help people do a lot of Roth conversions and just have one big year or a couple big years of taxes. And then going forward, they can keep saying some pretty low tax brackets and keep their Social Security from being taxed. Everybody's situation is different, though. It's... Everybody has different strategies they can use to, you know, try and minimize their taxes through retirement. Yeah. And so keep in mind that everything that we've shared, we'll try and put some resources to. If you're wondering what what were we just saying, Roth conversions, bunching, we have another podcast on Roth conversions. So we recommend you listen to that. And then um, look in the show notes of this episode for any sources that we might have, especially on the statistics and some of the ages, and know that these can change with uh, as time goes on. Each year, Social Security updates their numbers, so these numbers could change, but we're speaking in, in 2023, kind of what the numbers are. Another issue to be aware of, there's a lot of complexity with Social Security, is um, some they have lots of awesome acronyms, too. Um, is the WEP and the GPO. Yes. So the WEP stands for the Windfall Elimination Provision. I don't know why it stand, why what mm, that yeah, means. <laughs> but basically, this affects people who haven't, um, who've worked outside of the United States. Let's say we had a client who's from Canada. She worked there for some time in the 90s and then moved over to the United States. And basically, Social Security says, hey, we see that you worked in another country and you don't have the or, and so you may have your social security benefit reduced from what it says on your statement because you didn't work here for 30 years. That's that's the test with WEP. And you got some benefit from Canada. Yeah, You're getting like Canada social security benefit. Yeah. So in some of these types of situations, if you lived in another country, if you work for a nonprofit organization and you didn't pay into social security, sometimes that happens if you work for like a church or something of that nature and even some government entities 
if you didn't pay into social security, you may be affected by social security saying, hey, you don't have 30 years of substantial earnings. We're going to reduce your benefit by a certain percentage, depending on how much you worked. Kind of weird. We'll link that in the show notes. Um, Not weird, but it's kind of nuanced. So we'll link that in the show notes, but that could affect you if if one of those scenarios applies. And um, the GPO, the government pension offset, is also kind of this, it falls under the same category. If you didn't pay into Social Security at some point during your career, you could be subject to this. And people should know that they haven't been paying into Social Security because it's usually like a big part of like their employee education. And it's just interesting that people we run across who are subject to this, like a firefighter I met, his like county or district, whatever he was in, did not pay into social security. They paid more into his pension instead. Or we've seen that with like state employees. And so, especially if you're getting quite a large pension from somewhere and you haven't been paying into social security, your social security benefits will likely be reduced by the GPO or the WEP. Yes. And and like Nicole said, that can apply to a lot of people, but it's usually government employees, state, local, or uh, federal employees that, that that may affect. And good thing to note, the GPO, government pension offset, can reduce your social security up to two thirds because basically they're saying, hey, you are already getting a nice pension. We don't want to pay you social security. We're already You're already part of our pension program. So they want to, to cap uh, people who are participating in both. So kind of an interesting one. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this. It usually affects people who have worked somewhere for a long time and are older. Like the new federal employees are paying into Social Security and usually most newer state employees are. So it's um, kind of a, you know, if you're subject to it, you should know. Yes, they should tell you, I hope. <laughs> and this can also affect survivor and divorced and spousal benefits as well. Yes. Yep. So I guess we'll just wrap it up by saying, oh, Social Security, it's a beast. And there's a lot of planning strategies. And everybody's situation is so different about the timing of when you want to take your Social Security, about how you want to strategically take your spousal benefits with you know, your worker benefits. And then, um, you know, are you going to keep working? So there's so many things that go into it. And also, what other investments do you have? What have, Do you have a pension? Have you saved into any other places? What are you planning to do for retirement? They kind of have a really big impact on what you decide to do your Social Security. Everybody's different. There's no right answer for anyone. And so it's just good to look at your situation and talk to a financial advisor if appropriate. So we gave a great overview, we hope, of Social Security and collecting retirement benefits. And hopefully this is a great basis because we're going to record another episode, part two, really diving into survivor benefit. Because this is a podcast for widows, we feel like that's appropriate and absolutely necessary, but you need to have a good foundation of what social security is before we add more complexity on top of that. So look out for that episode. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to know more about us and what we do, visit our website, rockhousefinancial.com. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. 
All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.